Welcome to the Brownstoner Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Schneps, publisher of Brownstoner. My guest today is Compass Real Estate Agent, Erica Keverly. Welcome, Erica. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure Great to be here. Great to have you here. So, Erica, you lived in Brooklyn for 18 years, and you've worked all over the borough, but your specialties in the neighborhood's ringing Prospect Park, which is amazing, amazing area, amazing part of the borough. What is special about that area to you? Well, I think, like you said, Prospect Park is amazing. It is the heart of Brooklyn, as far as I'm concerned. And when I talk with buyers, it's the number one request and most common request I get is I want to live near the park within walking or biking distance of the park. I personally have lived for a long time in an area near the park, uh, Prospect Heights, Crown Heights, right on the border. And to me, it's such an incredible place to live. It's like this really cool balance of European flair and like everything that makes Brooklyn hip, little Brooklyn flavor, everything that's cool and hip about Brooklyn. And, you know, when you get out of that Eastern Parkway subway station at night and you see the museum lit up, you never get tired of that view. It is the epicenter of the cultural institutions in Brooklyn. And, you know, I think the other thing that's really great about that area is it's an area that supports a diversity in in old and new businesses. You've got everything there from the old school hardware store and the drug store and the hipster coffee shop and the West African fabric shops. And it's a community that really craves that and demands it and supports it. And it's why I'm feeling really optimistic as we move forward, you know, through this pandemic phase. For the, for the and I feel like Park Slope has always been, you know, a treasured neighborhood, but I feel like many of the other neighborhoods around the park have really, you know, benefited as uh, the borough has grown. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, Park Slope, especially for people that haven't lived in Brooklyn before, they're coming from Manhattan, they're coming from outside the city. That's kind of the the one that they know. And it's it's been an anchor community in in the borough, but absolutely, it's it's just spread out from there. And there's a lot of just amazing things happening in that area. We were talking earlier that you'd previously worked in housing for Mayor Bloomberg, and your own real estate journey started in 2003 with a studio fixer-upper. So you consider yourself a value broker. What, what would you say that is? And, and what do you do that you focus on? Yeah, so, uh, you know, real estate really started as a passion project for me. I was, I was very young in 2003 and very naive. And I thought it would be super fun to get into a fixer upper. And my husband and I did it. We tackled it. Um, we barely snuck in the market at that time into a studio. You know, we went through the fixer upper process. It was super challenging. We learned a ton. Uh, we had our ups and downs, but we stayed married. We made it through through the whole process. And you know, from there, we were able to just keep going. So for us, it's been a great way to build equity. And so for me, when now I'm working with clients, you know, it's important for me to help them find a home where they can build value, grow value, mm-hmm. and meet their own financial and life goals. So you know, I kind of specialize in my sweet spot is the, the 500,000 to $2 million condo co-ops, but there is the ability to grow value all along that whole spectrum. So whether it's getting into a, a fixer upper or helping a client think more broadly about their search and getting into a neighborhood they hadn't thought about before, that's kind of up and coming in terms of value growth and also concentrating on quality of the product that they're, they're getting at it at, at, at any price point. So looking at the quality of the building and the quality of the finishes in the apartment and the, the financial stability of that building. Those are really important things for long-term value growth in anything you're, you're doing in real estate. 
So I hear you also have a side hustle in an area that I feel like now is almost an extension of Brooklyn. <laughs> my, new, my new favorite neighborhood. Yeah. Can you tell us about what you do up in the Catskills? Yeah. So I renovate, rehab, restore homes in the Sullivan County Catskills. Um, you know, about 10 years mm-hmm. ago, my husband and I were looking for our own kind of escape, which a lot of people are doing right now, but we did it about 10 years ago. And we would talk to, you know, friends and colleagues who wanted to do the same thing, but there's, there was always a shortage of kind of cool properties that would appeal to the, the, the trendy Brooklyn, the very savvy Brooklyn buyer. So I thought, well, let me see if I can create one. So I, I found kind of like the worst, <laughs> the worst house in the area I could find near me and, and did it. And it went well. And I just, I just kind of kept doing it. And so it's been just a super rewarding process for me personally, creatively. It's also made me a better real estate agent. I learn lessons on every single project I do. There's nothing that is exactly the same on every project. And I can share all of those lessons, those sometimes hard learned lessons with my clients so that they can have a little easier process if they're even thinking about getting into a fixer upper. I love that. So what are you seeing in terms of a migration from Brooklyn to the Catskills, particularly now, right during the pandemic? Yeah, you know, the the Catskills and the Sullivan County Catskills, where I am specifically, were already going through this renaissance. It had started, you know, really about five years ago, had kind of started to accelerate two years ago. And then COVID just absolutely accelerated that whole process for people. So even people that started looking a year or two, two years ago, suddenly were frenzied and just really wanted a place this year for obvious reasons. But I, you know, I was in this really unique position this year because I have been working in both markets in kind of different ways, but still knew, knew both Brooklyn and, and Catskills markets really well, that I was able to help my Brooklyn clients in both places and kind of speak to both markets. So it's been a really interesting year for me being able to help people through that process on, on both sides of the coin. But I'm definitely seeing more and more people move in the buyers that I'm working with are not giving up their New York City homes. That's not really the, the typical buyer I'm, mm-hmm. I'm working with. They're looking for a second home. They, they plan to keep New York City as their permanent home. They're just looking for an extension of that right now. And I think for, for into the, the, the long term. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, besides the clean air and more space, you know, what else do you love about the Catskills? And, and I'm curious how it's the same, how it's similar or maybe different from Brooklyn. Yeah, well, you know, I would say about New York City. I've you know I've lived there for and worked there for twenty years in multiple different capacities. But it's it's not the hustle; it's the grind that will get you in the city. And I think being able to have that escape to the country is a really nice balance. It re-energizes you in a way that the city cannot, and similarly, the city re-energizes you in a way that the country cannot. So for me, it's been a, a really nice balance of both worlds. You know, we do have what's what I call country time in the Catskills. And yeah, so, yeah it's a, it's an adjustment period for a lot of city, so city folks who, who do um, land there. You know, things do not happen in a New York minute in the country. Right, they just right. don't, it's not good or bad. It's just what it is. And quite frankly, that's why a lot of people are looking to get into the country. But I think once they're there, there's still this like, you know, angsty, like New York city drive, like hustle motivation. We got to get everything done now. And you realize you have to slow down a little bit, change your expectations. You actually have to learn to become a little bit self-sufficient because you don't have a super who's going to install those Ikea shelves for you or like <laughs> fix your, your drippy sink. You just, you, you have to buy a drill and a couple of tools and watch some YouTube videos and figure it out for yourself. So it, it does develop some good self, 
self-sufficiency. You know, I think the other thing that people maybe don't talk about when it comes to the differences is that in New York City, we can get a little bit in our New York City bubble. And as diverse and metropolitan as we are, you know, there's this different type of political and social diversity outside of the city. And I think to be exposed to that does help readjust your perspective and find ways to find the common with people you might have never thought you would have found the common with. Yeah, well, that's always a good thing when moving to a new place. So Eric, I'd love to talk about the tool you developed, Buying 101 Agenda, to help prospective buyers analyze what they want in a home, where they want to live, and help narrow down their search. So could you share with me how it works and how can buyers figure out these questions? Yeah. So when I was first starting to sit down with buyers, one of the things that was really common is you're kind of figuring out that, that you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, we live in this world that's just saturated with information on the internet. And it was really obvious to me when I was sitting down with someone who'd read, you know, 20 to hundred articles online about all the different things about real estate and would kind of sit down with me and think they probably knew real estate. They weren't sure what value I was going to provide to them. And, you know, as we would talk through things, I I realized that there was a a core set of information that was really, really important to set a solid foundation for any search. And it's it's not complicated. And so I, I developed this really simple agenda. It's just two pages, bullet points. I send it to a buyer in advance so that they have a heads up about what we're going to talk about. And it's a really simple tool that allows us to have a very organized but not overwhelming conversation about those core things that you need to know as you start your search. And we know we talk through everything from from budgeting and closing costs and building your team. It's a lot of the you know bricks and mortar kind of pun intended about it's it's not the fun part of the search. It's setting up all the business things uh, up front. It's been a great tool. I can usually get through the conversation with a buyer in about an hour, maybe two, depending on how you know talkative that we get. But it keeps us organized. And you know I've never had a buyer leave a conversation that felt they didn't get something out of it, learn something, get value, and they always leave that table with homework and kind of starts the ball rolling on that search. Well, it sounds like a great resource, um, particularly for first-time home buyers. And I know you work with a lot of first-time home buyers. What would you say is your best advice to them and where they should start? Well, I think like everyone, all, all buyers are starting on the internet and that's a great place to get a feel for the market and kind of what's out there. And I think the internet has been a great tool um, for that, um, you know, as opposed to what we used to have to do. And so even though it's a great starting place, when you move from being that armchair hunter into thinking a little bit more seriously about your search, there are two things you need to do. One, you've got to get a pre-approval letter and find out what you are qualified to purchase because you cannot Mm -hmm. have a confident search. You cannot approach your search with confidence until you know that. And some buyers, you know, think that they know what they make, they know what their down payment is, but there's more that goes into it than that. And then the second thing is obviously just find an amazing buyer's agent to help you. No matter how good technology gets, real estate is a very human to human process. It's, it's highly emotional. It's high stakes. You need someone who has experience and has developed those good instincts, those good real estate instincts to help you through the process. You know, we play all kinds of different roles as real estate agent. I do a lot of real estate therapy for people and and they need that. You know, that's a really important, important part of the process. So looking into a crystal ball, where do you think the market is headed? And what areas do you think prospective buyers should keep an eye on? 
it's the $8 million question, right? I, I wish I had a crystal ball. We're in a really unique period in, in history. We're in a unique period for New York City. You know, I worked for New York City government after 9-11, during the 2008 housing crisis, after Hurricane Sandy. And the pandemic feels really different than even all of those events. It perhaps feels like all of those events combined in some yeah. ways. And so, you know, I think that we haven't actually even started to feel the full economic consequences of the pandemic in New York City. I think we're going to just start feeling that going into 2021. So I, I really, I think that New York City is going to have a challenging two years ahead. But having been through New York City, in New York City, through all of those things, it's a resilient place. There's no question about that. I am incredibly optimistic and confident for the future. I think it's going to be a challenging couple of years, and then it's going to be a recovery and reinvention period for the city. And I'm actually a little bit excited to see what the city is going to do in that kind of, you know, next period. So that's kind of, you know, the, the big picture economy for the market, you know, there is a market now people are moving, they're buying and selling, they're, they're making life choices. This catastrophe has created movement. It's accelerated decisions for people. So we certainly have a market right now. It might feel a little sluggish, but just when it starts to feel sluggish, it kind of peaks, it ebbs and flows. It It's constantly surprising. It's very hard to predict it right now. But I think if you're a buyer right now, it's a good time to think about finding a deal. And I know that that's a little bit of a catchphrase and a deal means different things to different people, but interest rates are incredibly low. Inventory is high and prices are low. You know, we were already coming off of a lower market in 2019, coming into 2020. So it is a good opportunity to find that. So you might've been a buyer who could have only gotten into a one bedroom. Maybe you can get into a two bedroom. Maybe you could have gotten into a two bedroom. Now you can get into a three bedroom. So look for those opportunities. And I think also look for quality, look for things that are going to hold their value and grow because really from here, we can only go up. So it's a great time to actually get in and watch your, watch your value grow. You have to be in it for the long-term. So be in it for the long-term, think long-term, look at quality of the product you're buying, the finishes in the apartment, the financials of that building, where you're buying all of these different, different things. It's not also a bad time to think about selling to trade up because if you bought at the right time and you have equity in your property, you actually may be able to sell and get that next thing you thought you weren't going to be able to get into, you know, three, four years ago when we were at the peak of the market. Yeah, it's a great outlook and great advice. I love to end off these Brown Stoner podcasts to, to ask the people that I'm interviewing, what really inspires you about Brooklyn? So what would you say about that? Yeah, you know, for me, Brooklyn is the absolute creative epicenter of the world. I have traveled a lot. I'm married to a musician who travels a lot. And, you know, you will travel and you see Brooklyn as a brand. It's on t-shirts, it's on stores. Um, but Brooklyn is not just a brand. It is, it is an energy hub. And it is absolutely a magnet for anyone in the creative industry, musicians, artists, dancers, chefs who are at the top of their game, the absolute top of their game. And so it has this energy that like gets into your pores and it, you can't help it. It gets in, it, it pushes you to, to be more creative and to be at the absolute top of your game. Well, Erica, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure hearing your story and, uh, and grateful to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. Make sure to tune in to the Brownstoner podcast at brownstoner.com.